With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 133. My name is Damone Carter, and I have a question for y'all. Um, what comes next? Locusts or frogs? <laughs> Nate LeBlanc. Uh, hi, my name is Nate LeBlanc. I am going to go frogs because I just watched uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Uh, okay. Oh, famously oh. ends with nice. a rain yeah. of frogs, and uh, weirdly, it was my wife who, like, usually we've watched all the same movies. First time watching that movie, so I kind of oh, really? watch it with new eyes. Wow. And it had been That's a while cool. since I watched it too. Um, it, it's certainly a lot of movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of movie. You know who else is a movie? David Ma is a movie. <laughs> How's it going, then? Yo, man, going well. Uh, going good. Um, these fires in California are fucking killing me. If you guys look at like the map with all like the little emojis, like we should be dead. Yeah, the whole state is on fire. Like the whole Absurd. fucking state. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel bad for anyone with like any sort of respiratory issues because it's like, yeah, what yeah, the fuck? Yeah. Like, I feel like I got punched in the face when I wake up, you know? Right, like it's you breathing, you forget how essential uh, some of these things are, but you know, we're, we're putting an N95 mask on top of our COVID mask. Um, right. My kids were, were, you know, kind of thinking about how could we be like Sandy and SpongeBob and just kind of all have a, <laughs> all totally. have an astronaut helmet on. Totally. Um, but we're, we're keep on keeping. Uh, I know a lot of folks had to be evacuated and stuff. So we hope you and, and Yorn are, are doing well, surviving. Um, we're keeping it moving. The show continues to go. It continues to grow. This is one of those times that I love as a, um, as a hip-hop pundit. I will call myself a hip-hop pundit. <laughs> uh, when Nas has a new record, not that I always love the record, but I, I love the, the discourse that a new sure. Nas release generates, even at the announcement that it was happening, which I think we touched on a little bit on this program. Um, people have strong feelings. Just off, mm -hmm. Nas is going to have a new album. You know, it's like people are, we're like preemptively mad about it. Um, some folks are definitely, you get to see who really is, is his diehard fans. Uh, right. Some folks are excited about it. But we've all had a chance to listen to it. And I wanted to 
Let's get you guys' takes. Nate LeBlanc, uh, King's, King's Disease. How did it sit with you? I hated it. Uh, <laughs> um, I haven't hated an album like this in a while. Like, I just found it boring, uh, pointless. Uh, it didn't sound good. Uh, he doesn't sound good over those kind of beats. Right. Um, I mm. thought it was lazy and just... I really want the time back. Like I, I was bummed. I was like, dude, really? if you don't have anything really? to say, don't put out an album. And this is the first time I think I've ever said this in my life. Nas is not an interesting person. He has mm. nothing to talk about. Right. It's like uh, we were kind of talking off mic and we always use all our best jokes before we actually get on here. But basically <laughs> I was like, he has a bunch of songs about girls. It's like, this dude is like 50 years old. Like, right. talking about right. girls, like right. dating, kind of. Right. I don't want to oh, hear right. your 50-year-old dating songs. It's like bizarre. <laughs> um, I didn't really care about the firm, so I'm not all excited that Foxy right. Brown raps. I'm like, and? Yeah. Right. I'm mad about it. I'm mad about the time. Yeah, I can see. You're a little yeah. PO'd. I was like, mm. ugh. It's like don't. Nas gave you a disease. <laughs> <laughs> that was my other joke in the in the dm i was like uh as a as a rap fan i'm not excited about this as a person who is almost certainly going to get gout because of my dietary habits <laughs> relevant relevant content for you uh lemongrass god david ma how did as as a nazir apologist uh, how did it uh how did this new record sit with you i you know um i I came into it, I went into it thinking I was going to hate it. And usually when that happens, I'm right. And I fucking hated yeah, this. Yeah. Um, you know, but I wanted to like it. You know, like I, I want to be pleasantly surprised by new music. But, you know, the production overall, I thought was really weak. And Nas, his rapping is so uninspired. I mean, he takes a lot mm. of pauses here and raps at a slower pace than his typical verses. And so when, you, when you're rapping that slow, the content better be worth it. And it's right. not. And he's yeah. still saying stuff like, you know, black kids should get knowledge instead of sneakers. Yeah, no shit. Right. No shit. <laughs> um, you know, like, and I said this earlier, like, um, you know, it's a song. Uh, he has so many songs about black excellence, but it's mediocre. You know what I mean? Like, it, ah! the, the, there, there's about yeah. a six song run on here from track three to like track nine that are just completely unlistenable. And you know, he's gonna name black artists like Roberta Flack and other profound artists. Sure, sure. But he just names them like he's reading a fucking Wikipedia um, entry. So I fucking hated it. And to top it off, anything with Vic Mensa, I can't stand. And- um, Yeah, that was you know, odd. Yeah, totally. And you know, um, when we're talking about Nas, I mean, if, uh, I've, I've spoken about my like of Nasir before, which is a little bit uh, controversial, but you know, if you wanna check out a dope later era Nas album, check out Life Is Good. There's a track on mm -hmm. there called Black Bond, which is off the hook. And um, it's just one of those where, I don't know why this Nas album is another event. It's definitely not halftime anymore. No, <laughs> halftime is over folks. Uh, <laughs> Nas is officially transitioned into um, the Hip Hop Legacy Act, right? What did you think like, of the album, Jamon? Um, I, I, I tried to approach it with less, um, with low expectations as not to be disappointed, right? And also from that perspective of, uh, of looking at it like Nas, the hip hop legacy act. It's like if, if Cypress Hill does an album 
that has two or three joints in 2020. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. all right. You're, you, you're doing the bare minimum to still be out. And you know what I mean? So part of me just is like, okay, this is, this is the Nas that you get at this point in his career. Um, he had a couple moments, but like just a couple, like nothing, the firm thing didn't do anything for me. Right. Um, uh, I can never hear Foxy Brown again. And that would, that would be for my betterment. Um, <laughs> and to, to Nate's point, just, it feels uninspired. It feels like this contrived thing. I'm going to get hit boy and we're going to do, I, I, actually, I don't even know what it was. Like if there was a pitch meeting for this album, like what, what were they saying? Like, what was the, totally. what was the desired outcome we're going to we, get with hit boy and we're going to make a, no clue. Absolutely no clue. Even the Kanye record, I understood the underlying premise better than with what I get on this record. And so um, it's, it's not good, but it's not even bad enough to be, I'm not as mad as Nate about it. I'm more just like, eh, okay, Nas still raps. His top Spotify song is still the Lil Nas X collaboration. So that's where Nas is at these days. It's interesting that you brought up Cypress Hill because they had a pretty good record last year and they did it mm-hmm. by keeping to their internal team. And right. Muggs, who's still a very vital producer, did these like insane psychedelic beats. Psychedelic. And then the guy's like, you know, he said, he, 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 the guy says one thing and then the other guy echoes him. It's like <laughs> you get the raspy voice, the high voice. That's Cypress Hill. Totally. Nas is, Nas is like constantly reaching for some new thing but his new thing seems to be like, here's a song about how my day went. Totally, totally. He, he's at best when he's an observationalist. And if he's an old dude not observing shit, it sucks. I want to hear. A, that's a good point. It's like, and that's why my, my kind of thesis that he's not actually an interesting person is that when he was 17, living in the projects, he saw a ton of interesting. Right, people. right, right. Exactly. And like, he was such a good writer. Like, I wish 19-year-old Nas could read these lyrics and be like, what are we doing like where where's the poetic turns of phrase where's the interesting adjective where's the like sense of danger or risk being taken it's like he sounds like he's reading his grocery list totally totally so boring so boring so boring yeah it's it's tough it's a hard listen and one can't help but every time when Nas comes out the kind of Nas Jay-Z binary um always pops up but i think it's still relevant in the sense that jay-z for all his warts um has aged better and kind of more tactically than nas uh jay- just sure. to stick on my thesis jay-z is an interesting person and you might not agree with all of his political beliefs or how he spends his money on art but he's married to the most beautiful regal woman in the world he's yeah. a billionaire but he's not yeah. the kind of billionaire that stops seeing things right it's like he's right like right hanging out with he him. knows makami like, uh, he knows who makami is like right like right, right. he's he's engaged with the world in a way that makes him interesting and right. he has regrets and he has right love and he has a deep knowledge of hip-hop to draw from you know what i mean yes yeah no he's uh you know the thing is with jay-z he will always be a a modern mind you know what i mean he's of the moment right. always right and right. uh nas i'm just like dude is do put out a reunion track with the firm, which was uni- universally laughed at anyways. Yeah, ridiculous. It's it's like funny when the thing people say about your album is like, why isn't nature on it? 
I miss the nature inclusion. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. We're talking about it's 2020. The world is on fire. <laughs> Trumpism, Corona. right? Yeah, like you, there's so much to talk about. The world is insane right now, and he's just like, oh yeah, I met this girl. She wasn't mature enough for me because I'm 55. <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. Oh, man. Oh, I don't know man. how old Nas is. I think I've said about six different ages for him. It doesn't really matter. The point is, he's a grown man, but it's not like grown man rap. Grown man right. rap, which right. all of us would would be kind of eating up at this point in our no, life. No, totally. Right? I would love to hear about generational wealth and just you know, just insightful shit. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. It's, it's tough um, in general for a rapper because you are always tasked with being in relation to the moment. So Jay-Z, to your point, Nate, I think he's been calculated and very strategic about that. I think he's an interesting person because he knows that his brand requires him to be an interesting person. Like, sure. I'm reading a book about Bastiat because I would like to do my hair like that. It would mm-hmm. make me an interesting person. Um, Nas does seem like, uh, you know, he's lost his fastball. Unfortunately, there was nothing. There was no sizzle. Um, in the record and so it begs the question who is that producer do you think that could bring out another decent to good Nas record because it's not Hit Boy it's definitely I, not Hit Boy but is, is there a producer I have one for this and I think it's um, it's based on two things one which is um, a soul sample palette and two it worked well for Jay-Z uh, I think no idea would be perfect uh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. You can always call a large um, professor, though. You know what I mean? Like, get some dope yeah. boom-bap loops, dude, and rip that shit. Like, I don't even think Nas fans are asking for much. You know what I mean? Anyways. I, I, I don't, I don't, I never am good at, <laughs> like, hypothetical things. I, I, I mean, I'd still like to hear, it's never, never going to happen, but the, the Scratch Magazine cover announced dude. premiere and Nas record. Totally. Uh, right, you know, I'm, I'm that era of hip hop fan. I'm still like, that's a great what if. You know what yeah, I mean? Totally. I, don't, I don't know if any producer can stop. What producer could make Nas interesting, I think would be my my. Yeah, that's, I guess that's the question, guys. right? And it's like, yeah. I don't want to hear the Nas Mad Lib album. I don't want to hear the Nas Alchemist album. I don't want to hear, like, those are kind of the go-to guys to do that for people now. But to I think read, that's the yeah. point where it would matter. I think five years ago, a ton of people would have said Kanye and we saw how that turned out. So it's, I don't know if it's, if it's doable. Um, I I will say this, the, I'm not anti-producer tag, but on this album in particular, I thought that they're, they sounded terribly out of place. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's not, I don't, I don't, I don't have any problem with Hit Boy. I think he's made some amazing records. It's just, Mm -hmm. I'm like, what what am I listening to right now? Totally. Like, yeah. It just didn't make sense. Yep. The pairing doesn't make sense. And totally. The one thing I'll give Nas a little credit for, or maybe his team, is he didn't do a big rollout. He didn't do singles. Yep. He just was yep. like, "We're doing this." Now we did this, and then yeah, at me. least it like we didn't have this like feverish lead up. It was just like, mm-hmm. "Okay, now we got it. Now we can listen to it, and now we can put it away forever." Moving, right. moving right along on the uh, on the Nas record. Unfortunately, um, King's Disease. Uh, yeah, not really moving the needle, but you know, uh, 2020 has given us a great many dope records. Um, and it's also not given us a Kendrick Lamar record, um, <laughs> for whatever reason, I we have a guest that's coming up. That's going to talk more about Kendrick's career. I wanted to ask you guys, 
do you feel like we will get a Kendrick Lamar record in 2020? I think so. I, I've been, every time I see his picture on social media, I'm like, ooh, we haven't heard from this dude in a while. I feel like he's going to drop some shit in November and that people are going to fucking think it's the best shit of all time. Especially uh, given the weight, you know, the weight and the build-up. Nate? I promise I'm not just being contrarian, but I'm going to say no. And I think because of what I was mentioning earlier, there's too much going on. And it's the same shit that's been going on for the last four years. And he kind of covered talk to do already the the response to trumpism and the terrible like tone of american life and politics on damn so uh, this sounds stupid and i don't think this is how people's careers work but in my internal monologue he's waiting for some new shit to happen Mm. to respond to Mm. like perhaps like a new american moment Mm. and aren't we all you know <laughs> yeah 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 it's uh, awful the way it is now so can we move on to yeah, the next totally thing speaking is? of november can't wait for some new shit in november yes you know that I mean. asteroid oh that's gonna hit on election day right i can't fucking right. wait jesus christ yeah unbelievable <laughs> I, I i don't know if i told you guys this i might have told you in real life but not on the show my wife and i booked a cabin with no wi-fi for election day weekend oh wow yeah smart stay, stay well, Wednesday. when we get back into wi-fi range when we're leaving the coast of uh northern california we'll find out who won wow oh. wow yeah i plan that's to be a, that's med- a meditating I've... and listening to water while everyone is freaking out Oof, <laughs> well I, I can guarantee you i'll be drowning sorrows either way right yeah exactly exactly <laughs> one more uh, than the we'll, other <laughs> we'll cry different tears um yeah that's that's an interesting premise nate i think that he did say all of the things that you probably could say right now. He he kind of touched on. Damn's not my favorite Kendrick record, but um, I just don't know where he would go. I I so I listened to Pink Sifu's uh, punk record that came out, which I believe is called Negro. Um, I listened to that when that came out a couple months back, and I went, "Ooh, I could." I feel like Kendrick's heard this. I feel like Kendrick is is tuned into something like some other kind of direction. I don't think if and when he does come out, I don't know that that he'll come out. But I'm excited to see what the the direction he's going to take it. Because with Damn, he took it in another direction, right? That mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't like. I think he did but, maximalism onto Pimp a Butterfly and right. minimalism yeah. on right. Damn, and somewhere in the middle will be the new record. And I I, I just think every Kendrick record at this point is like a gift because he's such a good rapper. I just want to listen to him rap. You know, it's like, it doesn't need to be a big political statement. It doesn't need to change the sound of music. It just, I just like want to hear what he would come up with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's getting better technically as he moves along. And that's, that only lasts for so long. Yeah. Yeah. That's your, that's your at the top of your game. Um, He's had some good features. Uh, He was on a two chains record last year. Uh, Mama hit a lit where, he still has the fastball like you can mm-hmm. he's he's not like he's taking this time off and he's atrophied right like he's he's made these features just to let you know i think unfortunately or fortunately i just think there's a tremendous pressure for him to make an amazing record you know uh, what i mean and I, I, best record of its time pulitzer how do you follow right. <laughs> yeah right. totally <laughs> totally oh man i yeah, should have said um, record of the decade from dad bod rap pod then pulitzer then because in order of importance <laughs> Actually, um, I, think we, I think we did uh we did kanye right we did my beautiful dark twisted fantasy but i think uh, so pimp a butterfly was we right count, in there 
It was right oh, right after Azealia Banks, right? <laughs> <laughs> if I had my way, the fringe candidate from uh, from downtown. But we had the the pleasure to talk to uh, Marcus Moore, who's got a new book out about Kendrick Lamar called The Butterfly Effect. Um, we were very fortunate to get him. He was in a hotel room in Nairobi. Um, so he gets the, the dad bought award for uh, frequent flyer miles for this first happened into us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have to say that I just like, I, you guys know, I love you guys and I love having a podcast, but what I really love is getting sent all these awesome hip hop books and getting to read them <laughs> before anyone else. Like the fact yeah. that my life consists of like, Oh, I'm going to spend Sunday reading this book. Cause I'm going to talk to the author and get to ask them whatever I want tomorrow. Pretty tight. Yes, sir. It's, it, it is dope. It is dope. We're, we're very appreciative to have cool authors on the program. I, I think there's a, you know, there's a lot more books that are coming out that are um, dealing with hip hop in a, in the right way. Let's say I've talked quite a bit ironically about the Kendrick Lamar book for fourth graders, which is, which this is not, it's, it's actually a book, a grown up book that uh, takes a look at Kendrick Lamar and kind of the societal conditions that, uh, produced his most recent run. So let's get into it. This is our interview with journalist, author, Marcus Moore, here on the Dead Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 133. We have a dope interview lined up for you guys. Joining us in Zoom is journalist, author. You've seen his work on NPR, The Nation, Bandcamp. Uh, and he has a new book out about Kendrick Lamar called The Butterfly Effect. We want to welcome Marcus Moore to the program. How's it going, man? It's going all right, man. How are you? Uh, we're, we're surviving. Currently, California is on fucking fire. So we're, we're doing that. Where, where are you at right now? Actually, right now I'm in Nairobi, Kenya right now. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. Even more than usual. Thank you for joining us then. I had no idea. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. No, it's okay. all good. I was about to say, I must love you guys because the time difference is kind of crazy. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, what time is it over there? <laughs> Bro, it's three thirty in the morning. Oh Holy man, shit, dude! Thank you. All right, it's all good. Dude, that's crazy. Thank man. you, brother. So you're 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 in you're in Nairobi, and part of your opening chapter in the Butterfly Effect talks about Kenyon's Ken, <laughs> Kendrick's voyage to Africa, to South Africa. Um, the book starts off with a bang, man. We're talking about the Grammys. We're talking about Kendrick going to Africa, his performance persona. In that chapter, you also state off the bat that he is the greatest rapper of his generation. And I wondered if you could expand on that a little bit. Like, how did you come to that conclusion uh, to the point that you, you stated out front in the beginning of the book? Like, how, how did you come to that? Um, you know, I, honestly, I came to it just by just being a music nerd myself and just being a hip hop nerd and growing up with the with the genre and the culture. And um, 
you know, at least over the past few years, I can't remember another MC who has had the impact that he has. I think one could argue that, you know, someone like, you know, at least on a mainstream level, someone like Drake, you know, because every time Drake comes out with a song, everybody has a strong opinion about it. Um, but the way that Kendrick, like, shifted culture, I think, was the reason why I just jumped out there and said that, because honestly, I mean, we even see it now, like, you hop on social media, there, you know, there are people's ad, people are asking, like, where's the new Kendrick album, and oh, we need him to come back, and where is he? You know, everybody's tweeting at Punch all the time and stuff like that. So, um, you know, when I took all that into account and I was listening to his music, it just really holds up, you know? Like, um, I remember when Good Kid, Mad City came out. As soon as it came out, everybody was arguing that it was a classic record. And I'm never one of those people to say it's classic right away. But then when I was listening back to it and doing research for the book, I was like, you know, actually, I, I think I could go that far and be like, yeah, this is a classic sure. album. And then I would go yeah. to To Pepper Butterfly. And I'm just, I'm such a jazz head anyway that when I played To Pepper Butterfly, I'm like, yeah, this is something that's going to be around for 20 years. I always base it on, like, I'm also a vinyl consumer. So I base it on, uh, is this something I want to buy the vinyl of? Am I going to drop the needle on this 10 and 20 years from now? And... You know, his music checks all of those boxes. And so that's why I was like in chapter one, just say it, say it with my chest, just say it directly. <laughs> and uh, that's what, yeah, that's why, how I came to that, man. Dope, that's dope. That's dope. Um, did, when did you first get into Kendrick? Like, what was your, your gateway? For me, that, that was section 80 when I was like, okay, this guy's like, you know, he's, he's something. What, what, when was it for you that you were like, ah, this, this dude is, is something? You know, it was the same as you, Section 80. Because I think uh, I came to I came to his music like everybody did, where it's like, you know, who is this guy? You know, I remember one day I was reading Pitchfork and I saw that they had a big um, review on this, you know, this kid, Kendrick Lamar album, Section 80. I can't remember the score. I think they gave it like an eight or something like that. Something mm -hmm. high. Um, That's high for hip hop on Pitchfork. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm listening to it and I'm like, who is this guy? This this, this is different. This sounds like the stuff I came up with, but it, it, it sounded, you know, it sounded like the past and the present at the same time. And I could tell that he had an affinity for old school hip hop. He had an affinity for old school West Coast hip hop, but also Southern hip hop and all these different things made up what he was doing. And so when I heard Section 80, man, that was the one that really woke me up where I was like, okay, this is somebody to pay attention to. And he doubled down on it with Good Kid. And that was the one where I was like, oh, this is on some like, if you don't like this record, I don't I don't understand why you don't like it. You know, it's, it's an amazing album. So those are my first two introductions. And um, Butterfly really solidified it for me because again, just me being into jazz, um, when I heard, what was it? When I heard the second track uh, for free with the question mark, for sale with the question mark, um, you know, that was the one where I was like, oh man, this is something different and he's a different kind of guy. So yeah, I guess my introduction was like three different times, but <laughs> yeah, each time I was like, yeah, no, this dude is something special. So dope. Uh, Marcus, so, you know, um, just to sort of further expand on um, To Pimp a Butterfly, you mentioned in the book, Terrence Martin, and you know, sort of his importance for bringing a jazz feel to the project. Um, just for those who don't know, because I mean, I 
love to butterfly and you know just love how everything came together on there would you mind speaking a little bit about his importance and what he brought to the project terrence martin's yeah yeah terrence martin he was um he was never he's never been an official member of tde but he's been there since the beginning he was there in top dogs um home studio way before they were even like you know these legendary artists and terrence martin is this um sort of uh multifaceted character where uh on one end he can produce he he's a straight up producer where he can you know sit behind a board and just press buttons and make electronic beats but he's also a trained jazz musician and he came up in the same school as like thundercat and kamazi washington and um ryan porter and all these people in lock high school and would play in Lamert Park. And um, so he had all these different sort of affinities, which worked directly towards the Butterfly. So um, he's important because he came in, he came in early, you know, when they just had beats, when they just had these beats. And then when he, when they decided they wanted to go on a jazz route, all of the people who he called were his friends. So he's just picking up his phone, calling, Robert Glasper, he's calling Kamazi to come in and Kamazi's calling Miles Mosley and so on and so forth. So he's sort of like, when, when I think about September Butterfly, um, Terrace Martin is like the, he's the glue guy. Like he always, he, he definitely stops short of taking all the credit. He's like, no, Kendrick gets more, he should get more credit as a producer and Soundwave and such and so on. But no, Terrace was the guy who like made it a, the jazz record, the funk record that it is. And so he's a very central character to that record in particular. He had a few beats on um, Good Kid, Mad City. Mm. Um, but his, I guess his his uh, importance is more directly tied to Typical Butterfly more than any other uh, record that he's come out with. Okay, perfect. Thanks, man. Oh, Appreciate that. I have a slightly larger more abstract question you like you spent a tremendous amount of time researching this book um is it uh, just kind of before i get to the main meat of the question is it true you didn't approach him or try to talk to him for it necessarily no, no, no. about him yeah no i um i talked to them i, I reached out to them early i reached okay. out that was like the first the first call but they were really really nice they were like hey this dude is man elusive you're not gonna get him but you but they didn't get in the way of me doing the book so they said, okay, you're not going to get the guy, but we're going to sit back and let you do your thing or whatever. Okay, so, cool. No, and that, they, that's kind of heading knew. where I wanted to go, where I wanted to ask you, like, yeah. now that you've gone as far as anyone can go down this rabbit hole, is Kendrick Lamar knowable to someone who's not in his circle? Is he knowable? Like, can you really get at the root of him uh, by doing research, or would you have to be in the inner circle? No, no, no. Actually, I, I believe that... Um, he is, he, he, I got to a point in the book where I didn't, I realized I didn't need to talk to him because I had formed such a circle around him that I felt like I knew, I, I knew who he was, you know what I mean? As much as I could, obviously he still has other things. He's still a, a very private person and, and going through things. But as far as knowing who he is artistically, I felt like, you know, me forming a circle around him by talking to Terrace and Robert Glasper and Layla Hathaway and Anna Wise and all these people, it formed a pretty good, a pretty good circle in terms of like, everybody had the same thing to say about him. You know, that was another thing. It was like, everybody started to 
sort of repeat the same chorus. And these are people who didn't necessarily know each other. So like, mm. for instance, Robert Glasper would say a thing, but then I talked to his uh, creative writing teacher, Reggie Inge, and he would say the same exact thing. And, you know, some, someone like Matt Jeezy would say some stuff. So I was like, okay, this is the guy who he is. And I also didn't realize until I started researching for the book that he puts a lot of himself in the music. Like I didn't catch it because you guys know his, his music is so abstract that sometimes you don't know what's truth, what's fiction. But then as I talk to people and then I listen to the records, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's exact. I see him walking down the street. I see him doing this. And, you know, so I also understood why he doesn't give interviews because, well, everything is right there on wax. So he doesn't really have to say a whole heck of a lot. So to answer your question, man, he's as noble as possible. <laughs> and so he finally, you know, obviously one day he'll probably write his own autobiography and that's great. Right. You know, my, my book wasn't that. My book wasn't. He was born, page one, he was born in this hospital and now here he is. Right. It was more about this moment in time. And so, um, you know, I look forward to that project as well, man. Thank you. Yeah, great answer. Dope. So what are your feelings on Damn, which is Kendrick's last record? It's been a minute. Um, where, do, where, do you, where do you stand on that? Because I feel like that was maybe Kendrick's most controversial record in terms of uh, people being divided on how they feel about it. Yeah, you know, admittedly, it took me a minute. It took me a minute to to fall in love with that one. And it was simply because it was it was totally my fault where when it came out, <laughs> when it came out, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't a butterfly. Where where right. are the roads? Where are the chords? And <laughs> I don't hear any of that stuff. And so it took me a minute to to realize that that, that was flawed thinking because uh for butterfly was a moment in time, you know, that was yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, there's no way he could replicate that. And I also remember when Dan came out, if you guys remember, like there were all these different rumors where like, I remember like a fake track list came out. Uh, yeah. yeah. Where it was like, oh, this was going to be featuring D'Angelo and Emerson Pockets <laughs> on this song. And, you know, so it's all this stuff. Yeah. And then um, what also he was going to drop another album on like, what was it? Easter Sunday. It was going to be called Nation. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, this is gonna be damnation, but which is crazy. But uh, but no, I I um I grew into the record, admittedly. Um, but if if I'm asked to rank my favorite Kendrick albums, I put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I I would say, as far as studio mm. albums concerned, number one for me is "Temper Butterfly." Number two okay. is "Good Kid." I put "Damn" at number three. Really? Over Section Ooh. 80. Interesting. <laughs> well, Interesting. here's the thing, like Section 80, Section 80 is a weird one for me because, you know, uh, like people say like, oh, that's his first studio album. Other people say like, mm. oh, no, that's a, it was a yeah. mixtape, whatever, whatever. Right. Um, right. I put it at number three because like, again, To Pepper Butterfly was so complex that it's it's easy to mistake Dan for not being complex, but it's just as sure. complex. He's just talking about something totally different. So again, yeah. like when it first came out, I, I got why people liked it, but it wasn't my immediate go-to when I was driving around DC. You know, that was the only thing. <laughs> had, had, to, uh, had to grow on you a little bit. No, I, I hear you. Um, totally. Is he is he gonna drop another record? Like what what is your sense on that? Having kind of had your brain in the Kendrick space for all this time, um, it's been, we're pushing three years now, right? Since, since damn, um, yeah. 
is he gonna drop another record? And like, what what would that even be? You know what? I, I think he's gonna drop another record. And because I'm such a tortured journalist, he's gonna drop it like September. He's probably gonna drop it like September, <laughs> October. And then my email is gonna be on fire. Like, <laughs> can you review it? And yeah, I mean, that would be good for the book, but I just, I. I'm trained. I'm, I'm training myself to be like, okay, one day I'm gonna wake up and a record's gonna be out. I'm gonna hop on Twitter and it's gonna be out, and everybody's gonna have an opinion. Um, yeah. But I, I think he's gonna drop something sooner or later, to be honest. And um, I feel like, what would it sound like? I think he would. Yeah. You know, I have a sense he's gonna go back to some more boom bap type stuff. I don't know. I, mm. I don't even have like inside knowledge or anything like that. But I just feel like. Okay. I could see like him with like DJ Premier or like Hit Boy, Oof, okay. Like, okay. you know, Mad Lib. I could see, I could see a record like that. Oh I'm man, like, please! Like I, ho- I hope you're right, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to hear a whole Kendrick Mad Lib album, man. Oh, that's man. just be totally. That'd be crazy. Mad Kendrick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Marcus, you know, um, you uh, you speak in detail a little bit about um, Anthony Tiffith and for obvious reasons, um, his studio, his vision for TBE, um, how he assisted um, Kendrick's development. Can you, just to bring it full circle, let people know a little bit about Tiffith's role and and just how vital he was to, to everything that came came about? Yeah, yeah, the thing about, the thing about Tiffith is that um, he, he provided like f- cheap or free studio space for you know, cats like, well, in the early days, it was Kendrick and J-Rock to just gel and become a team. Like he wasn't one of the, he's important because he wasn't one of these studio heads who was just trying to force people, you know, okay, well, your studio time is from eight to nine, you got to bang out some hits and then get out for the next person. Like he legit just opened his door and let those guys figure it out. Um, because he knew he was building something bigger. You know, he he wanted TDE to be like this really big movement um, and not just a studio space. And so he was important because, you know, he also was a very honest ear for uh, for Kendrick. So, you know, if Kendrick ever wrote something that wasn't dope, him and J-Rock were going to let him know. And, you know, and Mixed by Ali was going to let him know. So um he was he was really big in terms of like just opening his door to the community and letting the and and letting the community figure it out but he also didn't give it to him too early so like you know even though he was doing okay he had a house and family and all that they were going to get like cheap food and they were sleeping on the floor and they were like grinding because their his whole thing was you know if i give it to you early you guys aren't going to appreciate it and I think that's vital because, you know, they, they didn't, they're not spoiled and they still operate that way. They still operate like they only have $5 in their pockets and no one knows who they are. And they're still trying to come out with this amazing record. And so um, I think that's vitally important because it taught them discipline early and that's mm-hmm. how they still operate. So that's why even when, you know, they said like, Hey, you're probably not going to talk to anybody from TDE, but, do your thing. I, I wasn't even mad. I appreciated it because their mentality is we're still going. We still haven't made our best work yet. Mm. And, um, and I think that mentality is very important, not just for Kendrick, but I think more people need to adopt that, man. I, I right. think more people need to operate like they haven't done anything yet and and still try to focus on making the next project better than the last. I don't think there's enough of that going on. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
You have a very interesting section toward the end of the book that kind of discusses Kendrick's faith and Kendrick's um, foregrounding of his faith in some of his lyrics. And because of it, I've had the refrain from bitch, don't kill my vibe in my head all day. But um, what I wanted to ask you is like, um, what do you make of like Kanye is a whole different thing. We don't have to go down that path. Maybe Chance, Kendrick, and a couple other very prominent um, MCs of this time foregrounding Christianity in their music. And specifically, how important do you think it is to Kendrick to like use the music as a platform? Because that's not something, though I've listened to a ton of his music, I really thought about much. Yeah, I, I think the thing that separates Kendrick from other people who um, talk about Christianity and their music is that Kendrick's not beating you over the head with it because, and I think that that speaks more to his artistic sensibility than anything else. So like, even with, you know, his previous records, like if he's talking about depression, or if he's talking about survivor's guilt, he's not ramming it down your throat. He's just like literally unpacking how he's feeling, but he weaves it within like spoken word poems and jazz and all this other stuff. And so it doesn't come off like he's talking at you. It's, it feels like a conversation and he's speaking with you. And I think that's what, that's what made damn um, grow on me because I didn't realize until I went back to it that like oh man he's talking about like his faith and he's talking about Christianity but he's talking about his own conflicts with it you know and that's something right. I can relate to too you know as a person who grew up in like Baptist church and then as you get older you get more jaded you see more headlines and you you don't have the same faith you know and so I feel like that's what happened with him and I feel like the way he talks about it is is very important because it lets everybody know. I, I think it speaks more to the subtitle of the book where he's letting everybody know like, hey, it's cool to, you know, have doubts and to have, have um, you know, to struggle with depression. Like, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. separates his music because I feel like the other guys, they're kind of, you know, hey, I'm saved and hey, this is the way and yada, yada. Right. And they're like knocking you out with it. And, and it can tire, it tires out your listeners. And Kendrick yeah. is very attuned to not tiring out people who have been with them the whole time. Um, and so, yeah, and that's why, that's why I can go back and listen to Damn Now, like on, on uh, like down days and whatnot. And when I'm struggling mm-hmm. with self-doubts and things of that nature, because I feel like it's Kendrick saying, hey, you know, I get it. I'm, I feel the same way. And here's how I'm feeling. If you can relate, cool. If not, I understand that as well, you know. Dope, man. So the butterfly effect, how Kendrick Lamar ignited the soul of black America is out on October 13th. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, thank dope, you man. for the early access. It's awesome. And yeah. uh, the, the book is extremely well done. And I think... Um, captures a lot about the uncertainty of these times. And I think when, when it will stand and when people go back to read it, they're just going to realize how chaotic this time was like the, the sections on Trump and Trumpism <laughs> and Kendrick's kind of role in that and how he's like yeah. been a, been a kind of voice of the resistance, I think are going to age really well. Cause it's just like, we we're in it right now, but woof, this is complicated. <laughs> and he's one of our premier no. artists exploring that, you know? No, it's seriously, guys, like, th- this isn't any uh, 
fake humility, man. I really appreciate that because, you know, when I was in it, I was like, man, people ain't going to like this joint. Oh, man, it's <laughs> too heady. Oh, God, this joint is yeah. going to be a brick. But the fact that you guys really liked it really means a lot. Seriously, no bull. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. Awesome. And then uh, Marcus Moore, thank you for joining us from Nairobi, which has to be the record on this program. That, that's We've a record. we got a couple UK, <laughs> but not Nairobi. That's right. Oh, right. uh, yeah. Dang. So, yeah, we appreciate you staying up with us, man. Be well. All right, man. Y'all take care. Peace, Marcus. Thank Peace, you. Peace, man. All right. That was our interview with Marcus Moore. Next up on Dead Bod Rap Pod, we have an interview with Shafiq Hussein of Sara Creative Partners. And also he has a ton of dope um, solo releases. So we talked to him about his long, long, long career. Uh, without further ado, here's our interview, Dead Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we have another dope interview for you today. Joining us in Zoom is Shafiq Hussein, polymath, multi-instrumentalist producer who has worked with Erica Badu, Thundercat, Flying Lotus, and all kinds of other wavy people. How's it going, man? Man, beautiful. How's it going, brothers? Uh, we're hanging no, in there. We're hanging in there. We're in a bit of a fire situation up here in Northern yeah. California, but we're 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 personally safe and healthy, so uh, we're doing good. Thank you. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's right. Yeah, we're just, where uh, where are you calling us from today? I'm in Chino Hills, California. Oh, okay. 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 Oh, all right. Well, um, we're we're fans. We've talked about your record, The Loop on this program a couple times. And I, I wanted to start by just asking you to talk a little bit about that project, which has this tremendous list of collaborators um, and, and took, a, took a while to get put together, but just such a dope project. I wanted to see if you could just speak upon uh, how that project got yeah, started and, and what was the seed idea for The Loop. The Loop, well, the, the acronym, let's start with the title. The title is L Infinity P love's mm. infinite power or the love lp or the mm. infinite lp you can say it a couple of ways love is infinite you know so mm. so what i did was i would do 16 songs eight plus eight is 16 which are uh, basically the eights on their sides are two infinity signs so they're two cycles of loops basically that's mm. what's going on mm. And it's the cycle because you have Shafiq in a free car that's in that infinity zone too. Mm. It represents also, because I released my last album 10 years ago, but 
I mean, today. Oh, wow. When, when we released really? the album, yeah, in 2019, I released uh, Shafiq and the Free Card 2009. Mm. Oh. So, so it has all that type of thing and, and going, and so it, it, it ties in with a lot of the songs were, were, were created with this type of uh, mindset with other creative collaborators. Dope. Collaborators. <laughs> <laughs> My evil partners. Yeah, so, so if we can talk about, you have some great evil partners. Can you talk a little bit about your approach to working with really talented musicians? Like I said uh, at the top, you, you've had Erica Badu on the record, you had Anderson Pac. Um, just all these incredible artists, kind of what's your approach to collaboration with artists of that sort? And why do you think they, they continue just to flock to you to work with you? Oh man, well, each one of them, if you take, take like a Anderson Pack. So, well, each one of them, the, the thing that unites all of them that you just spoke of, all of them are united by uh, number one, their freeness and willingness. You know what I mean? A lot of people, may look at those type of artists because they made it. They may be like sort of say like unapproachable and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but 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 just grassroots every they just good human beings, good people, you know, real humble. So that in the creative environment always enhances uh the the the, the freedom, I'm gonna say, to create because there's really like no inhibitions or restrictions, sort of say. You know, you're not really dealing with ego or any vanity, sort of say, everybody kind of has their guards down, you know. Um, and, and and then there's the, uh, there's the admiration, there's the esteem and the admiration that, that that's, that's united too. So when I met, uh, say like uh, Erica Badu, I met my first time meeting her was at a show that she invited us to, I think it was the Universal Amphitheater. And then maybe, Maybe two years later, she's in my living room. She's in the Sarai living room. Right. <laughs> and we're, right. we're recording that hump. So it was things like that. Uh, Anderson Pack, I went to a show with another partner, Sonny Coates, to see uh, Alicoid Pete. Y'all probably know him. Uh, Y'all know Alicoid Pete? You know him? Or, mm -hmm. or uh, Mike Holden, the MC. So Mike Holden, the MC slash AKA Alicoid Pete, was playing. Mm -hmm rapping that night but he had a drummer and the drummer was singing and mm. at the time that drummer was called breezy lovejoy and <laughs> we, we exchanged numbers immediately because i was a fan of what he was doing he was a fan of i had just released in a free car fast forward maybe a month or two months yeah maybe a month or two months later he's playing his what became known as the free nationals later on minus kelsey gonzalez um, is, uh, plays the show and opens up for Shafiq Hussein. Mm -hmm. So we're on the same gig. Then, the, so we geek out about that. Then the next Shafiq Hussein show is now Breezy Lovejoy, uh, Ranavan, Jose Rios, and um, um, Benjamin. That's the band. But then the next week is the band for the Sa'ra show <laughs> because Sa'ra had put out an album also in 2009, a 
as well earlier that year. So we're touring both my album and the Sarai album. And, all, and this is where you start seeing uh, the, the cast of players, the collaborators mm-hmm. <laughs> at that junction. You know? Dope, man. So, Dope. You know, I mean, that's just, that's, I would say that's the 2009 era. If you, if you okay. go back into the side raw house, then you have to start with Jay Davey, Georgia M. Oldsgrove, Thundercat, Ty Dolla Sign, uh, um, uh, uh, Jamil Bruner, uh, who plays keys for, who used to play keys for um, the internet, Sinatra, um, a few, so many people came out of the house. Yeah. So, um, um, Shafiq, I have a quick question. Um, <clears throat> you and I last spoke for Wax Poetics in 2009 when the um, Anna Frika project came out. Um, but I want to take it back even further because we didn't get a chance to really dive deep into your history back then. Can you tell the people a little bit about your start with Ice T and the Rhyme Syndicate and just that relationship and how that led to the New Jack City soundtrack as well? Because I find that fascinating. I feel like a lot of people aren't hip to it. Yeah, that is a pretty fascinating one. I, I, um, I think when we talked about it in 2009, I was probably maybe 10 years, maybe just a few years removed. No, no I was about, I would say that was a 10 year span of being removed from producing uh, for Ice because he hadn't released any, um, uh, any professional music in that time. So I don't think we even got, I, I can see why we didn't shop it. I think we were just talking about the Sara legacy up to that point, because it had right. been going on for about right. like six, six years up to that point. So let me start with my introduction with Ice-T. I met sure. Ice-T at Crenshaw High School in 1983. He wasn't in, I met him um, at the time uh, Uncle Jam's Army would, would come and do lunch dances or the after-school jams. And saw him one time on the quad, this is the after-school after jam, I mean, uh, the, the, the lunch jam. Then I actually saw him really, really perform in the, um, in the gymnasium. No, it was the um, lunchroom. And same thing. So I introduced myself then. But... I also knew Henji and Ibuie separately, mm. New, New York City Spin Masters. So I knew them from like hip hop because of, of, of me traveling back and forth to the East Coast and hooking up with certain individuals. Me and, um, uh, so, I, I, so I'll say this, so fast forward, Ice, Ice, would see us around my group, which was called the Now, which became known as the Now Kings, mm. uh, which which signed to Rhyme Syndicate eventually. But we were known as Rip Government at the time. Actually, before there wasn't even no Rip Government at this time. I'm DJing for Prince Whip, Whip mm. um, from the Fantastic Five. Okay, wow. And, and so um, I would just, I would always see Ice. It was like whenever they would do shows, him and Evil, Africa Islam. That, and, the, and then I was a member of the Zulu Nation. So Iz, Iz was my, I would say, yeah, my Zulu king, my big army. And then you had all the other Zulu kings that was attached to that. Mm. So 
is obviously producing for ice, early ice tea, very like early on. I think I think if we no at that time it was Chris Glove and then Islam. Islam was basically Ice's DJ and then became his producer. Mm. Evil We always had been a DJ for Ice, but Evil We also had a group called the New York City Spin Masters with his group with his brother uh, Hen Chi. So you had this type of interplay going on in the Rhyme Syndicate. I'm setting it up for how <laughs> how Ice and I uh, actually hooked up professionally. So, um, like I said, I was producing for my group, the Nile Kings, but I was DJing for like uh, like Whip a Whip. I was uh, a DJ for Frost, Mr. Freeze from the Rocksteady crew. Um, um, my, my two um, MCs in my group, um, brother El Sadiq, who's on Picking Flowers on, on the loop. He goes, he's in this group. Me and him go back this, he's in this group, um, uh, Rip Government, which became Rec Dialect. Um, so Ice, how did it go? Yeah, so Ice would always see me around at parties. He knew I was in Zulu Nation. He knew the members of my group of Rip Government, but we played him a demo. And so the first demo we played, um, he was just like, yeah, let's go. Really? And I think we even already had a deal with him already. It was like, he already knew he wanted to sign us, you know, but we just played him something. And so this is uh, 19, this is 1989 now, I'm talking. Okay. So okay. I met Ice, I would say I met Ice around like, like I said, eight, probably had to be in, yeah, 80, 83, 84. Mm -hmm. Seeing them running them like 85, 86, and between, no, because 85, 86, I was in Houston and New York. But mm -hmm. I ran into Ice in New York at the Apollo with Whip a Whip. And so oh, that wow. was another thing. Huh? Oh, wow. Wow. I was yeah, just reacting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I don't know if y'all ever heard of the, um, the, the, the original Rap Awards. They used to have mm -hmm. them at, 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 at the Apollo. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, this is the, the first night I see Karis one do. I'm still number one. This is the first time I see MC Light do. I cram not understand you and <laughs> and like so. This is so. This is uh, I haven't been 87, 88. Wow. Uh, we talking about those releases, but my group gives Ice a demo. He signs us to a 12-inch deal, we put out a, a record called um, Dropping Bombs and uh, Listen to the Light. Um, soon after that, because I'm in college playing football simultaneously, I'm going to Compton College. Um, I have a choice to make around December, um, December, December 1989. I have a choice to make, am I going to go attempt to play for a four-year college because I played at the community college and you would transfer and play your next two years at a D1 or a D2. Right. I had offers from both, but I didn't like wow. the politics that was going on because I didn't go to high school. I, I, I dropped out of high school at, in the 11th grade. Mm -hmm. So, but I 
but I'm about to graduate from college, junior college with an AA, but I don't have no high school film. <laughs> and they got all these high school stars who basically are on the same boat with me, except it's opposite. Well, it's the same thing. I didn't have any high school grades. They just had bad grades going to high school. <laughs> same. Yeah, same. It's the same. It equal, but equals out the same thing. So I'm standing Watts in the place where I'm standing at. Now I have to move. This is December. I mean, it's so vivid. December, I have to move out of this place. I don't have nowhere to go. So I call Africa mm -hmm. Islam. It was like, yo, you can come up here. Boom. Is lives in Hollywood, so I go to Hollywood. But maybe I'm there for about maybe about a couple of weeks, and he goes to Japan and is gone for like four or five months. So while I'm up in his house, and, and, and at the time, let me tell you who was staying at the house. After, uh, you had Grandmaster Kaz, uh, um, Gordy B, uh, Special K from the Treacherous Three, Bronx Style Bob, Donald D, um, uh, Crazy Legs, all of the hip hop legends. You basically got the Bronx in Hollywood. <laughs> Right. The original, um, <laughs> Melly Mel is coming through, you know, score. So Iz goes to Japan, but kicks everybody else out the house, but lets me stay. Mm. So I go get a job at Thrifty's on sun <laughs> Sunset in La Brea. I'm working there, maybe about a month, Ice and Darlene come in. They like, oh, what you doing? I'm like, you know, I, I got to work, <laughs> you know, I'm working. He's like, all right, where you at? I'm like, I'm at, I'm, I'm standing up at the house with his, but he ain't here. He was like, okay. So I'm gonna come by there tonight. I'm like, cool. I said, I think he, I think I said he, I think his might have been on his way back or something. Cause he would call and say he was coming, but he would never show up. <laughs> so is I shows up to the house, maybe later on that night, but DJ Aladdin is at the house with me, me and at, at Islam's house. So he hears this track. He's like, yo, is back? I'm like, nah, come to the studio with me. Get to the mm -hmm. studio. We start working on New Jack Hustler. What becomes New Jack Hustler? Um, DJ Aladdin had pretty much majority of the track Done, but I I started adding like all the little breaks down breakdowns. The hustler, like you know, that's that's my bomb squad influence at the time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's shuff, that's that's SLJ <laughs> being influenced by, by Eric Sattler and the Bomb Squad. Um yes. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that history with us. I really, really want to see a movie about Grandmaster Kaz running around Beverly Hills. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Uh, well, like, well, 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 what was uh, Water the Bush was going on? I don't know if y'all remember um, Water the Bush, which became um, United Nations. Okay. Which um, Africa is um, and the whole crew. So, like, like I said, you had the Zulu Nation slash Rhyme Syndicate slash crime syndicate going on mm. in that crew. But 
that's that's amazing. That was such a cool story. Um, so uh, I'm, I'll get to a question, but basically what I wanted to say to you is like in my world and among me and my friends, the kind of music nerds that we are, it's almost taken as a given that Saw Ra is incredibly underrated and kicked off this entire alternative R&B wave that now dominates the world essentially. So I guess I want to ask you in the most respectful way is like, do you feel that way? And like, did you, were you aware at the time of like what you were doing would have these ripple effects? Does that make sense to you? I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, it, it, that's a very good question. Uh, it, I'll answer it like this. I'll answer the last part first. The last part, um, we expected it. Yes. We reason why, because we was getting so much resistance in the beginning. I don't know if y'all would watch or read like some of the blogs like OK Player. This is like 2003, you know. Um, I think somebody even had a beat some when I beat CDs, maybe like 2002, 2001. But they were calling it hack music. This is what, yeah, this is what, this is what they were calling what you what you said is the future. That's why I'm going backwards because we're, we're like in a time warp capsule now and that's the thing now, you know? So what we were stuck in, which is interesting, um, we were stuck in, two, for, for, so for, you would do music for MCs. They would say it's too melodic. If you do, if you're doing tracks for, uh, for R&B artists, it's too hip hop. That's, that's what, that's what the, the purgatory, so to say, or the bardo, if you will, that we were stuck in um, at that time. But what happened was we embraced it. So that's why I said to answer the, the last part of your question, yes, we expected it because we had already been part of successful projects already. And there's, 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 form, there's a formula to all that. Even in the unorthodox and the wonky and the jank slop, whatever, there's still a uniformity. There's a way how it can be presented. You know what I mean? So we were very, and still are very conscious of that. You know, you can take the out and put it and put it in and put it in the end. And then the first part, I think the first part of your question, what was the first part you, you said that um, I, I, I guess I, this is, I, it's a hard question to ask, but you've been so cool with us so far. I hope you don't mind me asking like, what does it feel like to be underrated is essentially what I'm asking you. Okay. So that's an interesting question because right. now, now what's the cool thing? All, a lot of those artists that, that have taken off always reach back in private and give their, their, like, yo, I wouldn't be doing this with blah, blah, blah. I patented my whole thing, blah, blah, blah. I had uh, floating points fly all the way from, from Europe to my house over in, in, over in Adams, the Adams district, you know, just to express their, their you know, appreciation and admiration. Uh, Fatima, the first time I met her, we just made music. You know, uh, Sons of Yusuf, they flew all, we just made music. Nana B, same thing. 
everybody that uh, the first day I met Thundercat, we made music. The first day I met Rosie Day, we made we made music. The first day I met Badu, we made music. First day I met Bilal, we made music. Like like every every like all of those type of the first day I met Napalm in the flesh, we rode cycles. <laughs> you know yeah absolutely so you're getting the recognition from within the people you've influenced and it's you're making those connections and strengthening those connections yes i was i would have to say now for now here's the thing and this is the reality they have fans and they have admirers and they've inspired a, a generation of artists and musicians so you know it's the tier system, it, you know. It's the domino effect. Yeah. Like who yeah. we inspired by? Sarah so didn't just pop out of, you know. Sarah yeah. so didn't just just pop out of nowhere. Sure. You know. It was. So, it was, so it was inspired. I, so can I can I ask you that? What was kind of like? What were you guys tuned into at that time that you started creating this new sound? Like, what were the the touch points there for Sarah? Good question, Sarah. Can I just, I guess I can explain it in the inception of Sarah, how it came together, because that was the conversation which, which you're speaking on right there. That that started with, with Taz and I having a conversation, but the relationship started in, I'm gonna say 95, 96, well, 94. That's when me and Omas met. And so Omas and I met working on the Raw Breed album. And I'm bringing this up because of all of these techniques and things sonically that people like about Sara. Uh, they're they're being they're coming together in this in this apartment in Harlem, three ten Covent Avenue, six apartment six B. We're working on we're working on the Broad Breed album. Omas at the time is an engineer, but I met him in in Ice's studio. See, see that connection? We, I met him with I, at Isis Studio because Raw Breed had flew out here. Two days later, I come up in the studio. Omas is the engineer. TR Love from Ultramagnetic is producing them, and it's three guys. One of the guys get drunk. They need an MC. I, start, I rhyme on the track. I get on the song. Two days later, we got a deal from Warner Brothers. <laughs> Omas is the engineer. So... Fast forward, we get another album deal, but I tell the group, he shouldn't be the engineer because I didn't went out to his apartment out in Queens and heard him make beats. He's playing beats off his NPC. I'm like, ooh, you one of these dudes. Okay, right. Next conversation with the head of the group that made the, 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 the chief decisions, uh, Mark Lyne, um, I say, I don't think Omas is just your engineer. I think he's a producer. And he wanted to go, and Mark Live wanted to go more musical. And I said, and he has a jazz background. I think we should incorporate um, that in what we're doing right now. We kind of did it with the first project, but I think we should really, really go in, like, like mm -hmm. synthesizers. So Omas and I, we started tweaking sounds and started coming up with techniques for new new ways of chopping, not just looping at that time. This is when you start getting 
what we call it phrasing. Then Omas teaches me this technique of programming with no quantize. This is all in the Harlem department. This is before even like people think that we got that from Jay Jilla. No, we got that from Omas Keith because he's he's a Max Roach student, jazz drummer. But we're we're doing this on SB twelve hundred at the time, and SB um, and MPC three thousand. Fast now, fast forward. <laughs> Omas and I mixing raw breed, and we would go have Taz come to the studio. Taz would come to the studio play his tracks. We start liking each other's stuff. Two thousand comes around. We say that we we want to start doing music. That's more. More like now I hit a Jay Dillon. Now now yeah. you now throw throw in Jay Dillon. Taz comes over to where I, where I was working with with Kareem Campbell. We doing uh, Tony Hawk video game music. <laughs> and I'm just, at that time I'm just collecting the check, but I'm trying to be creative. You play Jay Dillon, I, I go, oh my god, yo. Yeah, we was just doing this in in the Harlem apartment. Like, what are you are you serious? Conversation going, okay, look. <laughs> this is what we need to do. We need to pick back up what we were doing, but we need to really add like these particular aspects. So okay. we would ride around, sound references would obviously be Sly Stone. Uh, there's a riot going on. Uh, uh we were listening to uh, Inner Visions a lot. Um, we were listening to uh, Mothership Connection, Brides um, of Fucking Star. We were listening to a lot of David Bowie, um, a lot of Archie Shep, um, Max Roach, Charles Mingus, just, just all types of stuff. And then, but we're having conversations about all of these particular things in the music that we individually like. And so all of those things started amalgamating into the music. And it, it seems to me like all of those things have a sense of freedom. Yes, they independent. Yeah, they're united, but they independently exist at the same time. And what you said, that's how you'll hear a death of a star with opposed to like, say like a glorious. Mm. And then like, and then a drastic difference to like, say like a Hollywood, right? Sonically and song structure wise. Perfect, perfect, man. We really appreciate you uh, sharing just so much of your your deep music history and knowledge. Uh, What's what's next for you? What's what's the next uh, project you're working on? Well, we just, Sarah just finished the Louis Vuitton uh, Spring Summer Men 2021 um, okay. um, movie, film that they did. It's wow. called Zoom with Friends. Wow. It's two parts right now. We had about 11, 11 million views um, huh. on all platforms. Dope. Wow. Yeah. Okay. We just did That's- that and then I have the Dove Society album dropping um, probably in the next two months. We just finished mastering and then we're gonna shoot, uh, try to figure out how to shoot strategic videos in this quarantine, COVID era. We're trying to, oh, video, COVID, COVID video. 
Nice. Oh, man. Um, wow. Okay. Well, we, we really appreciate you coming on, Shafiq. We're, we're big fans of the music, and just thank you for sharing your time and knowledge, man. Appreciate it. Man, I appreciate y'all having me. I hope your families are well. Everybody out there, peace and love. Unity. Peace. Dad Bod Rap Pod. That was our conversation with Shafiq Hussein. Man, what a fountain of knowledge and uh, tremendous hip-hop zealig like I was in this place when all these amazing things were happening. Right. I was, I did not expect that. Yeah, it it seems like um, his early history, everybody was a grandmaster and everybody was (laughs) part of Rocksteady crew. And like, it's almost like a hidden history that's not too celebrated people know of his saw rock stuff but i mean kind of ridiculous and uh, it was really cool to hear him talk about ice tea and the whole rhyme syndicate yes. stuff that was so cool and like um that whole jay davy like i'm not mm-hmm. an r&b guy as we've discussed many times on the show but like that whole jay davy saw raw kind of like post dilla steve spacek like yeah. weird wobbly r&b thing was a big deal i was still working at the record store back then we would sell a ton of those records i don't yeah. know if it's like freestyle music where it's like a thing that was only popular in San Jose, right, LA, right. Queens or whatever. But like, it was just like uh, that, uh, like uh, to me, he's very important. Like that story yeah. is very important. So it was interesting yeah. the tack that he took when I was trying to talk to him about that. But what a, what a gentleman and what a, um, what an engaging person. He has an awesome totally. voice too. Totally. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Love that exactly. low rumble. <laughs> uh, just totally. super, super connected. Um, and, and his history goes super deep. We're, we're grateful to have had him on the program. I think we're on a streak, this kind of artist musicologist streak. Uh, last week's interview with Sterling Tolls was incredibly deep and profound. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't, please check out that episode. I'm making my friends and family who don't care about rap listen to that. Episode. I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. Like, this one, this one, you just have to, I'll, I'll give them like, I never do this. I always want everyone to listen to the whole episode. I'll give them the timestamp. Yeah. yeah I'll be like, totally. you, if you just cut to this part, I promise you, you will get something out of this. Absolutely. That one is decidedly one of our best interviews. So shout out to uh, Sterling tools again, everybody check totally. out that episode as well as um, his latest project with Boldy James. It's also incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I have a thing of, I never post, the behind the scenes texts or DMs or like in this case, sometimes emails that we get from people cause it's personal. And if they wanted to say it publicly, they would have just added us on Twitter. But like the, the people are coming out of the woodwork to really like say yes. that they felt so that dope. interview and that he had some amazing things to say and that it like, it helped them think in a different way. And I think that's mm-hmm. all we can ask as, you know, people who are, I don't know if we're quite journalists in what we do, but we're certainly interviewers and we're certainly like bringing, people's perspectives to our platform and like I, I'm just like really really pleased with the way that went down absolutely absolutely so we we want everybody to if you haven't already go check out that episode episode 132 this has been episode 133 of the dad bod rap pod as we survive 
uh, multi-level threats to our lives to bring you this podcast. And we're grateful for everybody for tuning in. If you want to interact with us on the social medias, it is at DadBodRapPod on IG, at DadBodRapPod on Twitter. Um, we do an IG live jamboree uh, every Friday. A fuck IG. around? Yeah, yeah. We hang out. It reminds me of, I don't know if you guys remember, Romper Room which was like a kid's show where the, the lady on course, TV would dog. call out the kids' names and shit. Like, that's how I feel on IG live. Right, I'm the like, Mac oh. Dre thing, right? Yeah, Paddington Bear has joined the chat. <laughs> well done, um, so it's been a fun scene. Uh, you'll see one or three of us or two or three of us. Um, and who knows, maybe some special guests. Stay tuned to uh, the Dad Bod Rap Pod because we have big news that we can't talk about. But I'm talking We've been about been teasing anyway. this news for months. Uh, yeah. um, when, it, when it finally drops, I hope you guys will think it was worth it. <laughs> What is that, Nate? It's totally going to be worth it. Uh, <laughs> big, big announcement coming up for the Dad Bot Rap Pod. We just want to thank everybody that has been um, listening and, and checking in with us. We get like different little notes and things of, of appreciation. And now I've noticed we start to talk to guests and they're like, yeah, I heard that. Right. When I was listening to the, I was like, oh, shit. That never like, happened in the beginning, dude. It was no, like, of course not. Who are these jokers? What yeah. is this thing? What did I get myself into? And now it's like, yeah, you know, I heard about it. I kind of listened to a couple of episodes and I was like, yes, it's working. Yes. yes. I, um, <laughs> I mean, um, ju just to quickly pull, pull back the curtain, I was uh, DMing with uh, Cadence Weapon and he was like, yo, I've heard of you guys. I checked out this episode. Well, yeah, like, what? Yeah, that's great. Reaching the frozen tundra of Canada. That's right. That's right. Our reach from Nairobi to East San Jose. We uh we get around. We appreciate everybody for tapping in and, and staying with us. New episodes every Thursday. 49 out of 50 Thursdays. We are the Dad Bod Rap Pod. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.